Have you ever wondered why you come and gather in church on Sunday? Uh, some people say, well, we, we're in the 21st century. Surely I can do church from my own living room. I got a big screen. I just tune in. Um, have you ever wondered that? Like, what's the benefit of coming physically in this, quote-unquote, amazing weather in Melbourne, right? Sometimes you feel like you just prefer to stay home, stay in your bed, in the comfort of your couch, rather than battling the rain, the flood, to come to church. I think the passage this morning could help us understand why God calls His people to gather. So I just want to say, we gather in church, we, we do a few things. We praise God, we worship God together, we, you know, we pray to God, we praying simply, we have conversation with God. We talk to God, we hear Him speaking to us, um, so both ways. Praying to God is both ways. It's not just one way. You know, sometimes we think like praying to God is, God, hear my list. Now, do this for me. No, praying to God means we're listening to Him as well. Um, and also, as we listen to His Word, we end with prayer, which is responding, whether in thanksgiving or in repentance of what God has spoken to us uh, through His Word this morning in, in every time we gather together. So, I think that's why we gather, and, and God give the case why people should, His people that He called should come together and worship Him. Now, I just want to say this, when you look at this, to notice that all of this, all of this gathering, all of this thing that we put together humanly as best as possible is not human's idea. None of these things are human's idea. They are God's idea. Now, over the centuries, of course, human beings try to be clever. We, we try to reinvent church, right? Um, we try to make church, what I would say, fun, friendly, and funky. That's human invention. If you look at um, how God called His people to worship Him, it's very different to some of what we experience in church today. Because we try to make church more fun, uh, more seekers-friendly in a way that, oh, we do not want to offend anyone. Well, let me tell you, if you do not want to offend anyone, then don't say anything at all. Have no relationship with anyone. As soon as you have any kind of relationship with anyone, you will bound to offend that person. In fact, if you have friendship with anyone and you never offend that person, let me tell you, you have no real friendship or relationship with that person yet. They're all superficial. You can come to church, be in church for many years, never offend anyone and never be offended by anyone. Let me tell you, you basically haven't had any relationship with anyone, any significant or meaningful relationship with anyone in the church. If you're married, you know what I'm saying. Because as soon as you're married, you have intimate relationship. You know each other so close, you're bound to offend one another. So, church over the years try to be this, quote-unquote, friendly in a way that is not biblical. We just want to, do not want to offend anyone. Um, not only fun and friendly, we want to make it more funky, Right? I've seen church where it's more like a concert than a church that is in the presence of a mighty God. Can you imagine going into, 
in the presence of a king or a queen, even human king and queen. Imagine before Queen Elizabeth passed, you get an invitation to come into her presence, and you expect smoke machine and and all these disco lights and partying happening in the presence of the queen. And yet, that's what we try to do over the centuries, to make church relevant by making it more funky, making it more like a party, um, like a concert, rather than people of God coming together, worshiping Him for who He is. Now, I'm not here to critique uh, churches or, you know, what people have invented uh, non-biblically, yet perhaps I, I have to admit as well, some of those are done with good intentions in mind. Making it more, I mean, making it more fun-friendly and funky could come with good intention. But are we so, are we though, by doing so, by introducing what we have, this, our idea of church have, it, it is in danger of redesigning God's original plan for how we should come to Him. Now, when you get invitation, even by human being, into a party, you don't set the rules. The person inviting you set the rules. If you get invited to a wedding, the person inviting you set the rules. It's like it's a black tie wedding. It's a black tie. You don't turn out with jeans and t-shirt. The same with approaching our God. If He's God, if He's true God, the Creator, that He holds your life in His hand, then we should listen to Him, how we should approach Him how we should come to Him. So we're going to, to help us looking at these 18 verses, we're just going to look at three, under three headings. The first one is the initiator of worship. The second thing is we're going to look at the activities in worship. And then finally, the price of worship. The initiator. So our text today in Exodus 24, we actually, Exodus 24 picks up straight away from Exodus 19. So there's a gap between Exodus 19 and 24. And that's what we call the Book of Covenant, where God explained in detail the Ten Commandments, how it should play out in God's people's daily life, how it should work out in our lives. So now, Moses pick it up back up from verse, uh, in, in chapter 24, verse 1 onwards from chapter 19. So, before we look at that, let's look back what's on chapter 19, all right? So, chapter 19, I'm going to read a few verses just to give us a sense of where Moses left, left it off with us. Verse 1, on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out to the land of Egypt, and on that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, 
you yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation, and these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord had spoken we will do. So that's, that's in chapter 19. And then we pick up in chapter 24 today. Verse 1 and 2 says this, the an- the, Then, this is the angel of the Lord saying to Moses, Came up to the Lord, came up to the mountain, You and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar. Come up to the mountain, but worship from afar. Moses alone shall come up near, not afar, but near to the Lord. But the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. First point that I want to make is simple, that this idea of coming to God and worshiping him does not come from God's people. If it's up to you and me, we will not have the desire, Sunday morning, raining, cold, what's the best thing to do? Let's come and worship God. Let me tell you, we wouldn't have that, we wouldn't have that capacity in all this little brain with that amazing idea of coming to God on Sunday morning. I'm not sure about you, Monday to Friday, I wake up six o'clock. On Sunday, I have to wake up earlier. So having the idea when it's not good weather to God, coming and worship God, it's, it's not our idea. If you can be here this morning, knows that back in the days, from back in the days, from the beginning, it was all along God's idea. He initiated this idea of coming and worshiping Him. So for the people of Israel, this happened in Mount Sinai. And in fact, if you look at this, only those who were invited could come. Do you see that? God even specified 70 of the elders, you Moses, right? And Nadab, well, Aaron and and his two sons, Nadab and Abihu. You all can come up, but then from afar, worship from afar, only Moses can come near to me. In a way, God is saying this, that we have sometimes lost this idea of worshiping God in church is a privilege and honor. The reason it's a privilege and honor is because there are people there in your life that you may know even today. There's no way they would come in to the building on Sunday morning, call church and worship God. They wouldn't. It doesn't matter what you do to them. They will just not do it. Now, if you can be here, God is really working in your heart. Not only that God has extended invitation into your life, and you have responded in return to that invitation. And that's what is happening when we gather in church. It's a holy God, the Creator, extending our invitation When we come, it's an honor, it's a privilege for us to be in the presence of the King of Kings. 
Sometimes we take that too lightly. We rather to be invited by some famous person that we know in our life and say, man, I, I got invited for this. I better prepare myself for this. But we forgot every day God is inviting us into His presence. So church, the idea of worship comes from God. And it's an honor and a privilege to do so, to come to Him. Now, imagine, just imagine, you, you, you've been invited by someone very important. I said perhaps the queen, the king, or if you have a celebrity friend, right? Some of you perhaps known someone famous um, that everyone want to be invited. You've been invited somehow by this person. What would you do? You don't just rock up. I, I, can, I can bet you. You don't just rock up. You just, I'm just going to rock up. You don't just rock up. You, first, you need to be invited, right? Uh, but also, you will prepare yourself. Perhaps, like me, if you, know, if you know me, I only have one type of clothes, and I've been invited by someone important, I, I perhaps want to start looking at my wardrobe. Perhaps I should get something more formal. Uh, I only wear black T-shirts. Some of you don't know me. I only wear black T-shirts. I've got 20 of them in a box at home. It's easy for me, right? Which one do I wear? Black T-shirts. That's all I have. Imagine I've been invited, which I have been, uh, to a wedding but at the end of the month and just rock up with my black T-shirt. I don't do that. I? I wouldn't do that. I need to pick up new clothes so that I dress appropriately. You know, I'll, I'll try to beautify myself. If I haven't been to a hairdresser for like three months, I would try to make a, make a trip to see my hairdresser. I'd say like, can I get a haircut, please? Perhaps I would even think to bring a gift, wouldn't I? If you've been invited, just, I, you know, most of you been to my place. If, if I said, hey, come over, most of you, don't feel bad if you haven't, uh, but most of you, when you come, you, you bear a gift, either, you know, a bag of mandarins or uh, a bottle of wine or whatever it is. We do that. We bring a gift when you're invited in. And the gift usually, how significant it is, depending on who you're visiting, Right? If you're seeing a king, you, if you're seeing the queen and the king, you wouldn't go that here's a bag of mandarins. You wouldn't do that, right? So now you bring a gift, you bear a gift. Now, in, in fact, if you're invited to say something in that party, right? So if you're invited to a wedding and you say, hey, would you have the honor to make a speech? What would you do? You don't say, no worries, mine. You just going to rock up and just start spilling out words. You don't do that. You prepare, you written down, you, you even time yourself. Make sure you don't go over time. You prepare everything, all that you can. You rehearse it. You prepare yourself, you bear a gift, you rehearse it again and again before you're coming to a party of an important person. Now that's church when you're, if you see church as a gathering of God's people invited by God. The question is, is that your attitude when you come to church and worship God, that you prepare your heart and prepare your life before you meet this amazing King of kings, God of gods. The Lord is the King of all kings, the God of all gods. 
and we can be here as we've seen is because we've been invited into his party that we call church. How serious do you take in preparing yourself before the presence of the mighty king? Now, in the Old Testament, if you don't prepare yourself and you just rock up, you'll be dead in an instant. You'll be dead in an instant. There's a story where King David was ushering the, the ark, transporting the ark of the covenant, the ark of God, from one place to another. And then the animal happened to trip. And then the ark was just about to fall. And the people try to help so that the ark doesn't fall and hold onto the ark so that the ark doesn't fall. What happened to them? They died instantly. Such is the importance of preparing themselves before the mighty king and the holy God. Yet we, today, we, we can come casually, can we? Like there's no dress code here, really. Um, I wear my always the same. I've got two pairs of this, so if you see me wearing the same pair, it's actually two different pairs. I just happen to have the same one. If I wear shirts that looks the same, I told you, I've got 20 of them. It's not like I didn't wash my shirts, okay? So don't be afraid to come and talk to me. I don't smell bad. Um, so do you prepare yourself in such a way when you come to God in the presence of the mighty King? So what we do and don't, why this is important? Because what we do and don't when we come to the presence of God reveal our heart towards God. So what you do and don't do when you come to God reveals your heart attitude towards God. Perhaps partly it's because of lack of understanding that you don't know good enough. Like, I mean, there are people... I, I remember when I first moved to Australia back in 95... This, I don't know what the terms bring your own plate means. So I was invited to a party, say, bring your own plate. What do I do being a nation dude, being invited to a party, bring your own plate? I bring my plate. I thought like, come, what kind of party is that? You got to bring your own plate. I bring, an, bring a plate for me, your own plate. You don't even bring for anyone else. Perhaps it's lack of understanding. But my suspicion is, when we come to God, lack of preparation and hard attitude, this casual attitude towards God is not because of lack of understanding, but rather it's lack of gratitude toward what God has done and reverence toward the mighty God. Because we live in such a culture where we can just talk bad, bad mouth anyone, pretty much without consequences. So God, in this part of our study in the book of Exodus, was giving His people instructions how they should come to Him. Specific instruction, or, or the word Torah, instructions to them, because He had rescued them. The reason He gave them instruction because God has rescued them. God has done something in their life, and God gave them instructions. Now, God will not give them this if they're just anyone else. The fact that God gives instructions into your life is because God cares. Sometimes we take this for granted. We, we, we misunderstood this. Why God is so controlling of my life? 
Because God's people can see it that way. Why God is so controlling? Why God wants me to do this and don't do this? It's because God cares and loves for them. Same as parents with their children. When, when, when parents t- tell their kids, don't do this, do this. Why do they do that? Because they love their children. And God is telling them, giving them instruction because God say, because I've rescued you. Because I loved you enough to come and rescue you out of Egypt, out of slavery. So God gave them instructions not to be his subject and abuse and use them and abuse them. Just like, see, the difference between God, the almighty king, and any other kings in the world is this. When kings in the world, leaders in the world conquer nations, they will make that nations their subject and they will abuse that nation. They will take the resources They will use the people to their own advantage. Our God doesn't do that. When God saved Israel, God says, now you are under my protection. In fact, God says, if you do all that I say to you, what did God say? In in chapter 19, you will be my treasured possession. No other kings in the world does that. No other kings conquer a nation and say, you will be my treasured possession. No, they'll say, I'm going to abuse you and, and take your resources until you dry completely. But God, our King, says, you will become my treasure possession. What it means is, I will do everything possible to protect you and love you. And we shall see that. How God, well, the, the people of Israel did not see that clearly. They see a glimpse of it, how God did that for them when God rescued them. But for us, on the other side of the cross of Jesus Christ, we've seen how God did this for us, clearly. When He said, I will do all I can to love you and to care for you. Now, some of you are in deep troubles in your life. I don't know what you're going through in your life. And you think like, man, what can God help me? What can God do to me? God say, if you are my treasure possession. If you have a treasure possession, you know what you'll do for your treasure possession. If you, as a limited being, will do all you can to protect and love and care for your treasure possession, how about God, who is not limited in His resources? As much as parents want to protect and love their kids, they have limit. Parents have limit. But God is unlimited. When He said, I will do all I can, He will do all He can without limit because you are His treasured possession. Let's look at verse 19 again, uh, the one that we read. Verse 4 to 6 says this, Now therefore you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So God called His people, you and I today, His priests, a holy nation. Holy nation simply means this. You are set apart for God. You are unlike other people. You are unlike other nations. You have been set apart. That's what it means to be a holy nation for God. So when 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 your friends accuse you being Christian that you're different, you say, well, duh. 
Now, the problem is we don't like that. We want to be the same like everyone else because we prefer to be accepted by our peers than to be accepted by God. We rather not offend our friend and offend God rather than being excluded from our social circles. So the first point is this. You've been set apart. God set apart His people, a holy nation. Why? So that others will come and witness the goodness and the kindness of our Lord. You're different, not for different sake. There are people who are like that, right? Uh, teenagers especially. Uh, if you have teenagers in your life, they try to act differently to everyone else because they want to stand apart. But the point that God says you are a holy nation, a set apart, is not so that people say, oh, you're weird. No, so that they will come and look and witness a holy God, a kind-hearted God, a God who will do all He can to care and protect you. God rescued them, and He called them up to the mountain to worship Him. So God was and is and will always be the initiator of calling His people to Him. So we cannot take, for, take credit or take this for granted. See, some of us, perhaps you've been following Jesus long enough, you think you're still in faith because you are amazing. You think that, well, maybe God was the initiator, but the fact that I can still love God and read my Bible is because I'm good. When the Bible says, no, you're not. The fact that you can still, if you're still in faith after all these years and worshiping God, God says, because I care for you, because I love you, because I'll do all I can to protect you. See, like a little child holding on to parents' hand as they walk along, along the street, and the child would trip, but because they're holding hand, the child did not fall. The child would think, oh, thank God I'm holding on to my dad's or my mom's hand, not knowing it wasn't the child who's holding on, but it was the parent who was holding on to the child. And sometimes we feel that way with God. We, f we take for granted and we take credit for holding on to our faith, not knowing all along that we can still be loving God is because He loved us. God is the initiator. The second thing is, when you come to worship God, what do you do? What, what are the activities of worship, right? Uh, well, let me tell you one of the significant part, because I'm going to say up front, because I don't think I might have time later on, is one of the significant part of activities of worship is meal, eating. They're eating here. And we, every time we gather in this church especially. I don't know your church background, but if you come to this church for a while now, you know we eat a lot. We do eat a lot. Uh, wherever we gather, we eat. It's biblical, I'm telling you. Um, it's, it's not just I'm trying to get you fat, um, but it's a biblical thing. When people come together and worship God, meal is always central. At the end of our Bible, What's the highlight that we look towards to? The marriage between God and His church. And there will be feasts, it says. There will be banquet. And we have to wear special dress that God Himself will provide. 
So mill is one of the activities. I'm just going to say it there. And it, there are hints here because they give two offerings in this passage. One is the burnt offering. Burnt offering is basically all the animals are burned completely for God. And then they also have fellowship offering or peace offering where they drain the blood, and that's the blood that Aaron, um, that Moses in this case, not Aaron yet. Aaron will do that later on, but Aaron hasn't been consecrated in such a way to become his, God's priest. So in this place, now Moses is still doing it, sprinkling the blood. That blood, the animal blood has been drained, and the animal was cooked and shared among God's people. They have meal together. They have a feast together with the blood drained out. Okay, so that's one of the activities in worshiping God, and that's important to God when we come together and have meal together. So what, what, what else, what, what did God people do when they come to worship God? What did God say? Well, first, let's look at verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has, say, has spoken, we will do. And let's jump to verse 7. And he took the book of the covenant. This is what Moses has written, you know, between that gap of chapter 19 and 24, 20, 21, 22, 23, and read it in hearing, in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. So the activity that happened is the hearing of God's word being spoken to God's people. So again, this method of delivering God's Word to God's people is not human invention. And there are churches that these days try to be friendly, fun, and funky, try to cut out this part where people listen to God's Word. Or they make it so short that you don't feel a thing. You, you just sit down, you sing, and you hear for five minutes and say, we're done and then have 15 minutes announcement. But this is central when God's people listen to God's word. It's central to worship. And not only listening, though, what did they do? They respond as well. Did you see that? Not only they listen to God's word, they say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now, this is important. They receive God's word, and they respond to God's word. In both occasions, back in chapter 19 and now, they all responded. And that's part of receiving God's Word is to respond back. Now, sometimes we respond God's Word by nudging someone sitting next to us, especially if you're married to someone. It's like, you know, God is talking to you. No, God is talking to you, not to your spouse. Or sometimes we have in this mind, oh, someone else needs to hear this. No, you need to hear this, God says. You need to respond not your spouse, not your boss, not your colleague. You, as you listen to God's Word, God says you must respond. What do you say about this? They say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That's what they say. Um, and the second thing, after the reading of God's Word and responding to God's Word, what they do is they, in this case, they confess, they commit. They have confession, and they have commitment, all the Lord that the Lord has spoken. So when you hear God's word, it may mean God requires repentance. So that's one way of how you're responding. 
repentance. Um, the next component in our worship is therefore um, not just listen to God's words and say, God, I will obey, but repentance. There are parts in our life that are not aligned with what God has said and say, God, I must repent of this. Um, so worship is not a performance. Church, as we gather together, is not a performance. Uh, we don't come to sit and enjoy the show. We come and expect God to speak to us and God expect us to respond in return to His Word. We, we come to participate in what God has called us to do. This is why some churches, though we don't do it as much, is there's a even written script of when the Word is spoken, there's a line where how you should respond. Uh, now, those, those are great. It, 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 it gives us a template on how, what is the right attitude to respond. However, that could be a problem as well if, if you think that's just someone else's word, not your own word. When God wants us to respond, God wants you to respond with your own words in your own heart, not someone else's words. So expect to respond and participate in worship. What do we learn here? Well, in Egypt, see, the people of God has been trained to look out for themselves. When they were slaves in Egypt, when you live a difficult life, a hardship, what, what do you learn? You learn to look out for number one, right? So people who, who, who grow up in a hard life, they're really smart, like street smart. They know how to survive. Because all their life, they learn to look out for themselves. And this is what happened to God's people in Egypt. They were trained to look out for themselves. Now, we have seen how in the desert, when, when, when they don't have job, in the desert they didn't have job, they cannot earn for their food and drink what they do. They get worried and they grumble because all their life they said, if I want to eat, if I want to drink, I can do something about it. I have control of my life. Now for the first time in their life, in the desert, the control has been taken away from them and they're not comfortable with it. They grumble, they're worried, now, in the call of worship to God in this passage, God is teaching them or unteach them, unlearn what they've learned in Egypt, that they do not need to look out for themselves because now they are God's treasured possession. Who will look out for themselves? Who them? God himself. The Almighty will look out for them. This is the beauty of you come to worship. You're surrendering your, surrendering your control and your life to God. Say, God, as much as I love to have control of my life, I know you're a better king and a better God than me. So as you come to worship, you open your hands to God in surrender. Because God, who had rescued them, from Egypt, from Pharaoh, will now take care of them. The same God will now, who rescued you of darkness into light, will now take care of you. 
Some of you are so worried in life when you come to church, all you have in your mind is to bring your list to God. God said, don't worry about your list. Don't worry about your list. Even before it becomes a problem to you, even things that you don't realize it's a problem to you, God knows. So that instead of focusing on your problems and on your list that you want God to fix, God say, come and worship me. Focus on me. So when you come to church, be reminded that God is not only the initiator of this idea of worshiping Him, but He is also the provider of everything that we need as we worship Him. When, when children go, to, go on a holiday, if you have children, you know, when you go on holiday, when you plan, um, well, what, 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 what do the children do? They just come along. They don't initiate. They don't plan. They don't plan. They don't even pay for it, right? All they do is, are we there yet? Right? Oh, I don't like this hotel. I don't like the food. That's what children do. Are we like that? So in our worship, we are coming to something that God had initiated, that He had called us to do, and He will provide everything that we need in our worship to Him. So some of you this morning, perhaps you come with heavy burdens in your life, and perhaps you felt a little underprepared after hearing, oh, I'm seeing the king, you know, I'm being, I'm being told to prepare, and I didn't prepare anything, I'm just pretty much rock up, really, you know, I even forgot to brush my teeth, and, you know, and then you have lots of gum on the way. Um, we stock gums in our car uh, for that reason. Sometimes some people in our household don't brush their teeth. Um, perhaps that's you. Don't feel bad when you listen to this. God, see, God's word when He rebuke is not to make you feel bad. Rather, God wants you to draw back near to Him, not to push you away. So we don't, see, this is the lesson. We, we, we will never be able to come to God because we are ready. Never. I mean, have you ever been to, a, to something that is so important that you have to change multiple times at home and to do your hair multiple times because you're just, just not sure, is this good enough? Is this the right outfit? Is this the right hair? Am I prepared enough? Sometimes we feel that way to just someone important. But to God, imagine God of the Almighty. We'll never be enough. We'll never be enough. We'll never dress enough. We'll never be prepared enough. But God said, come anyway. Because God says, you don't come because you're good, because you're amazing, because you're prepared, because you're ready. None of that. Because you've been invited. In fact, in, in the book of Revelation, at the end, in the, in the big feast of the wedding, God says, I will, pro I will provide what you should wear. Because what you will wear, however good and amazing it is, it's, it's, it's filthy in the presence of the grand wedding, in the presence of the mighty God. He will provide for you. So if you feel that you are with heavy burdens, felt way underprepared, as you come to God this morning. Don't feel bad. God said, come, because I provide everything. Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 28, 
Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The idea of rest is don't work for it. If you have to work for it, that's not rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Can you imagine any king says that apart from God? No king would say that in their right mind because that would make the king look weak. But only the strong of the strongest could say something like that, like this because God is so secure in who he is. He said, come and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Moses, when he went up to the mountain in this passage, he waited six days. On the seventh day, in the account of creation, is the day of rest. He come into God's presence. He prepared himself. And then on the seventh, he come to God. So are you heavy laden this morning? Perhaps you are, like the Israelites, you want to look out for yourself. You think to yourself, if I don't look out for myself, who else is going to look out for me? You may not have anyone else in your life that look out for you. Perhaps you do now, and then one day you say, this is why growing up in a Chinese-Asian background, uh, our parents' generation have lots of kids. The reason is so that when they're old, at least one of their kids will look out for themselves, for, for, for them when they're old. That's their reason, very selfish reason, I'm telling you. And we grew up in that kind of attitude as well, that if I don't look out for myself, perhaps not your kids now, these days it's probably your superannuation. He said, it's my super that will look out for me. God said, no. Come to me, for I will look out for you. If you're heavy laden, come to God this morning. For the Israelites, if, 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 if not for God who came out, came down, listened to their cry and rescued them, if God did all that now, rescued them with all these amazing mirac- miracles, would He not also care for them in the desert? Would He not? So take off the yoke, the heavy yoke, that you have, that you put on yourself. It's not God putting on yourself. All this pressure, all these burdens that you have in your life, if it's heavy on you, God says, take them off. It's not from me, because you put on my yoke. They are light, for I am gentle and I'm lowly. So if you're heavy laden this morning, ask yourself this. Why am I putting so much pressure on me? Why am I putting all these burdens on me? When God says, take them off and come to me. Put on Christ's yoke. Finally, the price of worship. Verse 9 to 11, chapter 24. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. 
in the presence of the mighty king, what they do? They feast. So there were some who got invited um, to the mountain to worship, right? There are 70 plus Moses. Um, actually, there's Joshua as well, uh, his assistant, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. But some of them can only go as far. And God say, you stay there. Only Moses can come. And then Moses' assistant, Joshua, and there's time helping. Perhaps Moses is too old now and need assistant. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But what he's saying here is there's clear instruction. God is the God of order. We cannot just mark this around. When we come to God, we must come with the direction and instructions from God, the initiator, the provider. We can't just make, make up our own rules. Somehow we say, church, let's, let's, let's do away without the Word of God. Let's just sing or let's just eat. No, God says, you must do this. God is a God of order. All of you come up to this far, and only some of you can go further. God is the God of order. He gives clear instructions. Now, the point I want to make in this one, the price of our worship is this. They saw God. They beheld God, it says, but they did not die. Because if we jump to Exodus 33, we're going to see this in a few weeks' time. Verse 20, it says this. You cannot see my face. This is God saying. You cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. In, in David's, King David's day, much later, even holding to protect the Ark of Covenant to fall, you die. And God said, you cannot see me, my face, and leave. Yet here we say they beheld God, they looked upon God, and ate and drank. They did not die. The question is why? What happened there? Well, because of this text, we can be certain they did not see the face of God. That's we can be sure, because otherwise they'll be dead. So, but they see somehow enough for them to say they beheld God, that they saw God. So what they see perhaps, some suggest, the text suggests, that perhaps they saw a reflection of God's feet on their sparkling sapphire floor. And for them, that is enough. They saw the reflection of God's feet, not even God's feet, a reflection of it on a shiny sapphire stone. For them, that's enough. The question for you and me this morning is this, what is enough for you? For us, we want a lot more, don't we? You know, we want our mortgage paid off. Then it's enough. Then God, I know you love me. If you're single, perhaps when I, when I found the one the other half of my life, then it'll be enough. If you're married, then you say, perhaps when I have children. What is enough for you? Some of us, we're so driven in our career that's like, it's enough when I'm just one level higher than where I am now. And then you get one higher level than where you are right now, and then what do you say? 
You say enough? No, you say one more, Lord. One more. When is it enough? For them, they look at the reflection of God's feet and that's enough for them. But they didn't die. That's the point. They didn't die. They should have died. Um, not, if not for re- looking at God, um, but for their rebellion. Remember they say, all that God says and God instructed, we will obey. What will they do? They will disobey God. They will disobey God. And um, they should be punished, and the punishment is death, but they didn't. Now, when, when the people of Israel couldn't do what the people of Israel couldn't do, it's something that we could do today. Back then, they couldn't do that, but we could do that today. Let's look at this. In John 14, so this is jump way ahead. John 14, 8 to 9. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, show us God the Father, and it is enough for us. See? What's enough for you? For Philip, Jesus, show me God the Father, and it is enough for me. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? If you're a Christian today, if you profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've seen God and live. In your rebellion, in your sinfulness, you're still breathing and still healthy. God bless you. God bless your family. God, God bless the hand, your hands, so that you succeed in your work. We don't deserve that with our rebellion against God. With our stinginess, we're so calculative against with, with God. Right? I've, I've spoken to Christian where they say, "So what's the what's the minimum requirements here when it comes to giving?" That's you don't you don't come to a king that give you everything and says, "What's the minimum requirement here?" You don't do that. Yet we didn't die. We behold God in Jesus, yet we didn't die. Now, why is the question? So let's look at verse 5 and 6. And he sent young men, Exodus 24, sorry. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offering and sacrificed peace offering of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in, the basin, put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. And we jump to verse 8. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. The reason that you and I are not dead and God's rebellious people did not die is because blood was spilled. The animal was dead on behalf of them. For you and I today, it's far more precious than animal blood that was spilled. It was the Lord Jesus Christ's blood that was spilled so that you and I, in our rebellion, in our sinfulness, we can still come together and worship and be blessed in our life. Is that enough for you? Is that enough for you? 
See, some of us may say in our head, yes, that's enough, but in our heart, we just want to climb up that ladder of career. We just want more money in our superannuation and bank account. We just want more and more and more and more. For God's people, seeing the reflection of God's feet is enough. The fact that you and I can breathe right now and be blessed so abundantly by God, His blood has been spilled. Now, in, in the ancient Near East, this is how they make covenant. They don't make covenant by a piece of paper and solicitor signing papers. That's not covenant made in those days. They cut up animals. They cut up animals, spread them, and then the two parties must walk through the cut up animals. Why? Because they say as they walk through, if I to break this covenant, my fate will be like these animals. So they walk through that, knowing and witnessing the blood everywhere, the dead animals. Like if I to break the covenant, my fate will be like this animal. They know that. Yet when we walk through that covenant with God, as He calls us to worship, to be His people, when we break the covenant, Remember the covenant? All that God said I must obey that we didn't do. We do probably 70%, maybe, 80%, 90% if you're really good. That's, that's not all that God has commanded. But why are we not dead is the question. Because the other party who is not guilty is dead on your behalf. He's the one who is, whose blood has been spilled. The covenant with God and us, we are the one who broke it. We are the one who deserved to be cut up and died. Yet God says, you are my treasured possession. I will do all I can to love you and to protect you, even if it means sending my own son for his blood to be spilled on your behalf, even though it was you who broke it. And that's why we can be who we are today, coming as a worshiping community, before God, our Lord. Hebrews 9, verse 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1, 7 to 8. It's our last verse. In Him, in Christ Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His glory, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. When you fail in your life and deserve to be cast out forever, instead, just like the elders of the Israelites here, you are invited to come to the table and have a, have a meal with the Almighty King. That's where we stand today. Instead of to be cast out, we get invited to have a meal, to sit at His table. Do you see the privilege that is? You don't invite enemies to your table, to your home, and have a meal and sit with you. You don't do that. Only the closest of closest family and friends get invited to have a meal at the table. And God is inviting you and I to the table and eat with Him.
And that's only possible because he paid the price. It was his blood that was spilled, not yours. So today you and I can live our life as a redeemed people, forgiven, not by some animal blood, but by his own blood. Let us pray.